Here we are with episode 48 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast. This time we are talking to Mr. 16 time finisher at the Hard Rock 100, Chris Twiggs. So, yes, this was his 16th time kissing that rock in Silverton. He's also a huge influence and coach in the Galloway training system. So, whether you know him from the marathon scene, the coaching scene, or here in the trail running scene, Let's kick it off with Chris. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, number 16. I feel like July's a busy month when it comes to ultras. You've got three races here in Florida between the Vero Beach Octopus Ultra, Skunk Ape, and the Trident. There's a lot going on. It's not like any small races either. Like it's Western States, Badwater, and Hard Rock, like huge races. They're all, I'm only aware of two people that have ever done both Hard Rock and, and um, Badwater in the same year. And they are both like just incredible, you know, well, anybody that does them, either of those is incredible in my opinion, but, but to do both in the same year is just beyond badass. And, um, I don't pretend that I could live up to that. So I've never thought about Western or not West, well, but Western too. That's so close to all of it. I've never thought about Western, never thought about Badwater seriously because hard rock has been my love and I didn't want to do anything that would compromise my ability to finish that but yeah i guess we could kick it off with a little bit about yourself kind of your background sure and obviously your travel background because i feel like i see you traveling everywhere florida colorado the uk ireland and so on yeah yeah so um yeah so i got started with running when i was in college i didn't do any any running or anything younger than that i played you know golf and tennis and those sorts of of sports grew up in in northeast florida uh, in fernandina beach and but in college i met this girl that got me running how many great stories uh don't start with there was this girl and <laughs> and so she uh, she ran half marathon and and some friends and i put together a relay team to do a relay of that half marathon that was the first organized race i can remember back in college and then fast forward a few years later and she and i are married and she got me to do a marathon and then fast forward several more years and i wasn't i'd done a bunch of marathons i wasn't getting much faster and a friend of mine was then the president of the um, of the Jacksonville Track Club, and he put in our Track Club newsletter that he was going to run this Guana 50K. It was a brand new 50K that the Track Club was putting on, and so I had run with him a bunch and i asked him on one of our runs hey when did you start training for this 50k he said i never trained for the 50k but i just did this marathon last month which i had done as well so i decided i would run the 50k with him and we stayed together the whole way 
And we, during, in the, in the meantime, with all the marathons and stuff I was doing, I had started a Galloway training program. And so he and I both used Jeff Galloway's run, walk, run method. So for 31 miles, the loops in Guana, we, we did our run, walk. Our only goal, it's four lap race. Our only goal was not to get lapped by the winner. We managed not to get lapped by the winner. And I think he finished that 50, finished together. I think he finished that race deciding, okay, that was good. I never have to do that again. And I felt like my eyes were opened. And suddenly I didn't know where my limits were, but suddenly I wanted to find out. You know, I had just run farther than marathon distance for the first time. It was the coolest thing. And I decided I wanted to find out what else I could do. And so that began my ultra running journey and my trail running journey to find out what I was capable of. So I signed up for a 50 miler, did the Vermont Trail 50. It didn't kill me. Uh, so I then signed up for a 100 miler, did the Vermont Trail 100. It also didn't kill me. So I signed up for Leadville, and it almost killed me. I uh, learned a lot running Leadville coming from Florida. Uh, that was a big learning curve there for me. Uh, but I finished it. And back then, Leadville was a qualifier for Hard Rock. And Hard Rock was this little 100-miler that probably not many people were thinking about back then. And it went through it goes still goes through Uray, Colorado and Uray happens to be the town where my wife great grandmother was born she was actually born at the camp bird mine which the race goes right past huh. and so i had been going out there for vacations in the summer and fell in love with that town and when i found out there was a hundred mile race that came right through that town i said well i need to do that and i didn't know hard rock was you know, as hard as it is. And I didn't realize that it was going to be as popular and as coveted as it is. I just knew this is the race that comes through this town that I love. And it's on these trails that I like to hike. So let's see if I can do it. And, um, and so here I am, uh, 16 hard rock finishes later and my small Galloway training program that I had in Jacksonville, uh, I parlayed that into now a full-time job working for Jeff Galloway. And so not only do I get to work from home or from wherever, but I've gotten to travel around uh, to some Galloway training programs in different parts of the country. I've gotten to go over to Athens, Greece seven times. I'll go again in November uh, for the Athens Marathon as a coach with a tour group um, on behalf of Galloway. Um, I'm going to London next month uh, as a pacer with Galloway. Uh, we're kind of doing an exchange where we're using some pacers from London and they're using some of our Galloway people. Uh, I, I coordinate pacers for the Disney races. And so um, we're using some of the London pacers for that uh, marathon in January. And it's just been, it's been mind blowing. Um, you know, my job now is coordinating training programs and coaching. And so I get to work with people that are running distances from 5k to 100 miles plus I had a, an athlete that did 400 miles at across the years. 
two years ago, I think it was. Uh, and then I've ha- I had two runners that just got their first 100-mile finishes at the Keys this year. So it's just been wonderful to share my love of, of running and, and sometimes ultra running with, uh, with folks and, uh, and continue to do what I love. And so far, I've been fortunate to finish every race of every distance that I've entered. Yeah, because I want to hop back to the Galloway method because I didn't realize until really a little bit ago that you're the chief training officer for Galloway. And the Galloway method, I feel like a lot of people, we've heard of it, but maybe we don't really understand it. And at least for you know the marathon or 10Ks, those perceived like short and hard races, it's just hard for people to you know fathom a walk break in there but when it comes to the ultra marathon like that's almost crucial how does the galloway method actually work yeah so um it's really about well there are three goals for the for for galloway um when we're doing the walk breaks the first goal is to um is to avoid injury and so when you especially when you're doing your long training runs putting those walk breaks in lessens the impact on your body and so you're less likely to get injured um second benefit is you recover faster when you've done a race with the walk break method you're going to recover faster from it because there's been less impact on your body Uh, and so i'm i do a lot of races and being able to bounce back from you know, a half marathon on Thursday and then a marathon on Sunday, which is something I do in November every year with a half marathon in Jacksonville that I pace and then Space Coast Marathon. Um, But then also doing, I'll do three marathons in November this year and being able to do these races back to back using the walk breaks, you definitely recover much faster from that. But then the third thing, which is something that ultra runners i think can appreciate but as you said the people doing shorter distances might not appreciate is you actually can go faster in a race when you're taking walk breaks and it it a lot of it is just about not slowing down when you're uh, when you're getting tired you don't get as tired using the method and so you're able to maintain your pace better but i mentioned that i got into doing ultras at a time in my life when i had done a bunch of marathons and I wasn't getting faster at them. I had not qualified for the Boston Marathon yet. And since then, I've qualified for the Boston Marathon many times uh, using the run-walk method. And it uh, it actually does make me faster. I'm able to finish races faster that way than I could otherwise. My son is 24 years old, and he just did a sub-three-hour marathon using walk breaks. And he had tried several times running continuously and hadn't had success but with the walk breaks he was able to maintain his pace throughout and and and, you know and and break three hours and qualify for boston which is what he needed to do for his age so it's really amazing it's not something that everybody's going to try you know if you're out there and you're running a 5k and you're a 10k let's say and you're finishing that 10k in 35 minutes are you going to do walk breaks probably not right if you're doing a 5k in in 17 minutes are you going to do walk breaks probably not could you do walk breaks and maybe go faster believe it or not yes um and it's like you know for marathons people that are going under three hours the vast majority of people running a marathon under three hours are not going to use walk breaks but you know, I've got examples, including my son that I just mentioned, who were only able to 
when they incorporated the right run walk ratio into their uh, into their running in ultra running. I think it does make a lot more sense. And I see it being it was being embraced by ultra runners before Jeff Galloway himself even thought about including an ultra running training schedule in any of his books. Um, And when I, I came across an online calculator years ago that was recommending certain run walk ratios based on pace for ultra distance. And Jeff didn't know anything about it, but he was delighted when he heard about it, when he heard that people were using this method to challenge themselves to go ultra distance. And he does have a book now, um, Jeff Galloway's uh, trail running book, does have training schedules for 50K, mile, 100K, and 100 mile. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad he didn't write that book until after I had several 100 mile finishes. And I was really glad when the book came out to see that his recommendations for training and his schedules that he wrote were really a reflection of what I was already doing. And that was a relief because I was working for Jeff by then. And it would have been embarrassing if the way I was coaching was not the way he was recommending it. <laughs> but, um, but it makes sense that what I was doing and that was made me successful with finishing the distances I was doing, it made sense that it matched what he put in his book because I had been following his method and using his concepts for years by then. Yeah, it seems like a very transferable uh, concept. Yeah, it is. And, and I see it in, as I said, in, in ultra distance, it makes a lot of sense. And in triathlon, it makes a lot of sense as well, where people, especially in Ironman races, when people are getting off their bikes after 100 plus miles on the bike, and they've done two plus miles of swimming, their bodies are exhausted. And saying walk breaks is is a lot faster than just walking, which a lot of them end up doing a lot of uh, Ironman athletes end up doing. And it also um, is more efficient than trying to run coming right off the bike. And we've seen, you know, Jan Fredino, the first time Jan Fredino won the Ironman World Championships, he did it taking walk breaks at every mile mark during that uh, marathon. And I was I was jumping up and down and screaming at my television when I saw what he was doing and, and could tell that it was, you know, a, a method and not that he was falling apart, but that he was actually winning the race using that. And in interviews afterwards, he said, yeah, that was my plan was walk break every mile. And then, um, you know, we've had we've had success with a lot of runners using the method. Uh, Mark Burgett, who I know has been on the podcast, you know, he won the Keys Hundred using a walk break method. He he broke the uh, the course record at Pinellas Trail using the method. Um, you know, he he's he's been a great ambassador for Galloway just because he's having amazing results using the method. But but I think most of especially in mountainous races i mean you know i wouldn't i did a run walk method necessarily when he was when he won hard rock this year but he sure as hell was walking up uh to uh you know walking up grant swamp pass and walking up uh to kroger's canteen because you know even he can't run up all that steep stuff it's just he's able to run a whole lot more of it than the rest of us can yeah, so I guess that coming into training, I know you live like north of Jacksonville, so I figure there's probably some hills maybe on the you know the Georgia side, maybe not so much on the Amelia Island area. But how does hill training work for you? Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I guess if I went to Georgia, there there would be hills, but I you know I have to drive all the way. First of all, I'd, ha- I'd have to leave the island to do that, and, and those of us that live on Amelia don't like to leave the island. Uh, <laughs> 
right. So there is a hill. We have one hill on the island. Um, it it gains uh, it gains ten feet in elevation for uh, a half of a tenth of a mile. So it's not the sort of hill that you would really get to train on. You can you can do hill repeats on it. I do for for strengthening. Uh, and a couple of years ago, when um, when Hard Rock was canceled in 2020, like everything else was canceled for COVID, they offered a virtual Hard Rock that included uh, you could do a flat as a version or you could do a version that mimicked hard rock itself that included 33,000 feet of climb and so i ran that hill uh, well i guess you know i guess 3,300 right if it gains 10 feet (laughs) times in a week i guess it might have actually taken me two weeks i ran it a ton of time to get that elevation in because i wanted i didn't want to uh, to cheat and do the flat as a pancake version. So no, there's nothing like hill bother with hill. I, I'll go into Jacksonville and I'll run uh, bridges sometimes with friends down there. But honestly, I do my hill training in Colorado when I'm getting ready for hard rock. I, I'll build up my distance here in Florida and and try to build up to a good weekly mileage and t- to some long, you know, do like a 60 mile weekend here. And then I get out to Colorado as early as I can. And that's where I climb. That's where I I get the the, the legs. I, I, you know, that's where I, I work the muscles to get the climbing in and practice the downhill running out there. So I, I've had people that were moving to Florida that came up to me at at award ceremony, for example, and said, hey, I'm moving to Florida. What's what's the secret? How can I... You know, if I'm going to be there, how can I finish this race? And I, I tell them, you know, the, the secret is you've got to pretend you're not a Floridian. You've got to get out to Colorado and you've got to train on these mountains. You've got to train on, on these trails. And not just because you've got to get the elevation in and, and work the legs, but you've got to get acclimated to the altitude as well. Um, coming, that's, that's why Leadville was such a challenge for me when I did it in 2004, because I was coming straight from Florida. I had been in Colorado. I'd actually paced Hard Rock that year. I did two miles with uh, John DeWalt, who was getting his 10th finish that year. He was one of the first people to get 10 finishes at Hard Rock. And so I knew the trails and I knew all the mountains, but then I came home for a month before going back out to run Leadville. And so my body was not acclimated to the altitude. And it's, it's a whole different story when your body's not used to altitude. You think you're running one pace and you're actually running three or four minutes per mile slower. So that was a real challenge. So I learned from that to get out there as early as possible. And I think when I started doing hard rock, I I was a, a college professor at the time. And so I had summers free. And so I could, I was on the academic calendar, I could go out there and I could spend six weeks prior to the race training. And so I was acclimated and I was used to the mountains. And so I was okay from that standpoint. Uh, but there weren't a lot of people that could, could really do that because working from home wasn't as much a thing in 2005. Now, one of the things that we found after COVID is that a lot more people can work from home than used to. And so I think they're probably, we will, we have seen a lot of diversity of where people are coming from to do the race. And I think we probably will. There was one other uh, ultra runner from Florida who was entered in the race this year. Unfortunately, she didn't finish, but I think we will start to see more Floridians or 
other flatlanders with the ability to do it as long as they can get out there and acclimate and learn the mountains. Um, and that's something I, I would love to see. I've been telling my friends, my, my, my Floridian friends, I've been telling them for, you know, almost two decades now about this race and how they've got to get out and they've got to see it. They've got to experience it. They've got to come out and hike on these mountains. And, you know, some of them say they're going to do it. And very few of them have actually come out and seen it. And uh, I wish more people would, and I hope they would fall in love with those mountains like I like I have. We'll 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 get there. We'll get there. There there are more and more. I mean, the Florida the, the Florida ultra running scene has grown exponentially since I started. Um, you know, it's it's there were very few of us when I started, or at least it seemed like there were very few of us, and now. There are just so many races in Florida and so many ultra runners in Florida. And it's an awesome, it's an awesome community, really. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, even just coming from out of college in around 2018, just the amount of either races available or participation rates, it's, it's incredible how much it's already grown. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's going to, it's going to keep doing that. It's going to keep growing. And, um, you know, and so we'll we'll eventually we'll start taking over those uh, those races out west. I guess for you know a lot of us flatlanders, maybe we don't have the time to you know take summer off or we work that you know that nine to five. How much vert do we actually need, or like what are those flatlander things we can do to actually go to a race like Hard Rock? Well, I mean there are there are options, right? Um, if you've got a home gym. Or if you have a um, if you have a, a gym you're a member of that has a stair mill or a versa climber, those are very good options that can allow you to get vert. Um, that you know that could certainly help. That's not going to give you the downhill though. That's my that's the thing that I feel like we miss here. We can find ways to climb, right? You can get on a stair climber, you can get on a stair mill or a versa climber, but that's not going to train you to go downhill. And that's something that is so important. If you, if, if I couldn't run effectively down single track, I would probably not be a hard rock finisher because I'm not fast enough on the uphills. I've gotten a lot better over the years, but I'm really not fast enough on the uphills to hang, but I'm fast enough on the downhills. And that just comes from practice. So, um, so that's the trick in terms. So in terms of gaining vert, you know, those, those there, um, in terms of acclimating, I was talking to, uh, to an ultra runner, uh, she's not in Florida, but she's in the South. And she was telling me that she bought a hypoxico system that she's using to help pre-acclimate prior to Leadville. And that's a really good option as well. And there are other hypoxico, definitely one big company. There are other companies that have uh, have machines or devices that you can use to basically what they're doing is they, they help you stimulate the production of red blood cells so that you are more effective at getting oxygen to your muscles. And that's something that happens naturally when you get to altitude, but it takes about weeks to happen if, you know, fully. So one of these other machines like a hypoxico system will get you that, um, that edge 
when you get out there as if you had been there. Uh, so, so those are things that from Florida, if you were going out and you were going to do one of those races, I would certainly consider if you don't have the time to be there at least three weeks before the race, then find a system like Hypoxico or, uh, you know, and, and, and try to work on pre-acclimatization and get on a stair mill to practice the uphill, do as much vert as you can. What I would do, I've, I've got a, a Versa climber, and what I will do sometimes is I'll get on that and I will try to climb the equivalent of the biggest climb during hard rock, which I think the biggest climb now I have to, I, I have to start thinking. So hard rock goes clockwise one year and counterclockwise the next. So I think the tallest climb that I'll face next year, if I, if I get in the race will be from Uray up to Virginia's pass, which is like from 7,800 feet up to 13,000 feet is where Virginia's is. So five, my math is right. 5,200, so about a vertical mile. So I would get on the Versa climber and do a session where I basically climb a vertical mile. Um, that's, that's going to give you a good, you know, good legs for climbing for sure. What you're going to miss though, is that downhill stuff. So that's, uh, that's where I would consider a trip wherever you can get probably from, you know, maybe Claremont. I've not done the Hills out there, but I hear there's something if you're in the panhandle. Maybe you go out to Terea and do the canyons there. If you're in North Florida, maybe you go up to Georgia and get on, um, you know, get on some of the mountains in South, you know, and in, in, as far South as you can be, but still get into mountains um, in Georgia and practice that downhill running. Um, that's, that's maybe the best that you could do to practice for that. Yeah, because I know here in Dade City, Florida, at St. Leo University, you've got a lot of hills. This is one of the, the you know, those hilliest areas that a lot of cyclists come out to. That's also yeah. another super good area. Well, that explains why those St. Leo kids are always so strong in cross country. Uh, my son ran for University of Tampa, and I the St. Leo uh, guys were always very strong competitors. So maybe those hills were giving them an advantage that my son wasn't getting over in Tampa because <laughs> i ran for st leo uh, well, <laughs> that's funny small world yeah <laughs> just like Ford ultra running is yeah so with hard rock going one direction and then it swaps direction i know if you do both directions it kind of makes you a true hard rocker right yeah so <laughs> i heard once you become a true hard rocker like it changes your sense of being as a runner what does that mean to you well, I tell you, so I am um, finishing Hard Rock the first time was what because of the approach that I took doing the local 50K and then a 50 miler and then a couple of hundreds along the way. It was the culmination of a huge dream for me the first time I finished. So that was a big deal. And I see that. I see that every year on people, especially those that have waited several years to get in because it, it's so hard now with the lottery process. So. I don't want to take anything away from people that haven't had that chance to do it in both directions, but you're right. They, and that's one of the pressures they put on you to apply the next year is, you know, you need to be a, tr to be a true hard rocker. You've got to do it in both directions. In fact, I think this year, Jamil Curry, I think this was his, what was this? His sixth finish, but I think it was the first time doing it in this direction. Uh, yes. So yeah. And he and I were talking about that actually 
during like as we were leaving town uh heading up silverton bear creek uh we were i was right behind him and we were talking a little bit that to to be a five-time finisher so he was considered a veteran and yet he still didn't consider himself a true hard rocker because he hadn't done it in both directions um there is something about that there's definitely something to that knowing that what's what's great is you can have a conversation with another hard rocker and no matter what year they did it even if it's a year you weren't there if you've done it in both directions, you can relate, right? If they're talking about that climb from Burroughs to Handy's Peak at 14,000 feet, um, which is in the other direction, in the counterclockwise direction, it is definitely the toughest. It's not the tallest climb, but it's the toughest climb. And you know, you know what that's like. People that did it this year for the first time, this direction, Handy's is not as hard it's not nearly as hard in this direction you're still getting up to fourteen thousand feet but it's just and you're getting it there later in in the year later in the race you're getting there at what is it this year we hit the top of handies at probably 60 i don't know what it was 60 something miles as opposed to 30 miles in the other direction but it's still even at 60 miles in this direction it is a much easier climb coming the way we went. So there's something about knowing all the climbs in both directions, knowing what it's like in both directions. You de it definitely does make you feel a little bit more like a hard rocker. Um, when I did hard rock the first time, my wife thought that it was to get it out of my system and that I would be done now that I had done it. And of course I had to say, well, I, I have to come back and try to do it next year because I've got to be a true hard rocker and get it the second direction. <laughs> and then when I finished it both directions, this is a long time ago, right? So my first hard rock was 2005. My second was 2006. So back then, if you finished hard rock three times within five years, you bypass lottery so when i plopped hard rock my third year my wife thought well, why why are you doing this you've now done it in both directions like yeah but but if i can finish it a third, then that would give me the ability to take a year off if i wanted to and still come back and i did it the third time and then when i did it the time she was like all right obviously you're you're hooked you're never you're never going to willingly walk away from this race and that's Obviously, that's the case, right? I've got 16 finishes now. Um, I will not willingly walk away from the race. The race may, from you know, the new new lottery procedures may keep me from getting in one of these years. And I intellectually, I can understand why they've changed the lottery over the years. I can understand why they've made the changes they've had. Uh, but you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking and. There are only six names on the finish list that have no, there's a guy from Florida who is sitting there with, with only six people with more hard rock finishes. I kind of feel like that's, that's cool. I like that. Um, and, uh, I'd like to continue. I'd like to see if I can climb on that, on that list, or even if I can't make progress on the other people that are ahead of me, could I, could I get to 20? Could I get to 25? You know, who knows? Yeah, how does it feel getting into the race again? Because obviously you've gotten into the race now 16 times. Does that moment ever change for you? No, it really doesn't. Um, I mean, there were th there were those years that I was automatic. My fourth year I was automatic. I think my sixth and seventh years were automatic. So obviously there was that was just 
you know, not having to go through the lottery was a relief. Um, but every year when they do, they, they now tweet the, you know, they, they live tweet the, the results of the lottery. And I'm, I'm hanging on my phone looking and praying and fingers crossed and everything. And then as soon as my name pops up, I'm getting text messages from friends. And when I see my friends' names pop up, I'm texting them and, you know, see you in Silverton. We're excited that it's going to happen. It's definitely never gotten old. It's kind of funny. My, my first year when I got in for 2005, they used to hold the lottery in February. Now it's in December and they used to hold it in February. And the first year that I got in, the drawing actually happened on Super Bowl Sunday, gotten a ticket. And I was at the Super Bowl uh, with my mother. My dad had gotten two tickets and he gave one to me. So I don't think Twitter was a thing back then, but you, I was able to get on whatever I had back then. I was able to see the results of the lottery and so i was at the super bowl and found out i was going to get to do hard rock the first time um so it's always special it's always exciting um i will go back to silverton i'll go back to your ray i'm not doing this race and if i don't get in next year i'll be there and i'll i'll volunteer i'll I'll lead hikes to help people learn the route. I'll still sit on the veterans panel. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help people because now that's my community. And that's one of the things I love about ultra running and trail running is you see, we see each other at these races, even when we're not doing them, we're there to give back. We're there to help. We're there to cheer and, and to contribute in whatever way that we can. And that I think is something I, I I'm, I'm committed to doing. And I love that my friends continue to do that. And um, I try with the runners that I coach, I try to inspire that in them as well. And to say, look, you know, even if it's not a trail runner, not an ultra, go to a local IK, go to a local half marathon or marathon and volunteer. Cause you know, if you do a race, you know that that race can't happen without volunteers. So if you benefit from that, as a runner then you need to contribute to that as a volunteer yeah the community is definitely a huge thing so like obviously what takes you back time and time again what makes the hard rock 100 so, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what makes the hard rock 100 such a special event you know in the ultra running community it's the it's the community it's the family and it's interesting when if you go on to the uh, if you go on to the Hard Rock website during the race and you look at the the people, you, you can click on the individuals and there's a little questionnaire that we all filled out. And one of the questions is, what does Hard Rock mean to me? Time after time, when you look at that, it's people are talking about family. Um, you know, it's almost like it's a freaking Fast and the Furious trope but uh but but truly i mean that's how it feels i have i have brothers and sisters that are not born into my family but we've become a family because of our time that we spend in the san juans in colorado and it's important to me to see them year after year it's important to me to stay connected to them throughout the year and rock itself doing the race is bittersweet because it's obviously what the reason there and it's the culmination of all the training that i do 
summer, but it's also bad because when it's over, it's been just a matter of a couple of days before I head home. And so I miss the San Juan, miss my friends out there, uh, and always make plans to go on hikes and get in runs and do things with these, these men and women that I've shared so much with. Um, one of the guys during the veterans panel this year was thinking about how he g- falls asleep at night dreaming about the hard rock course, like running the course mile by mile in his head. And, and some people count sheep to fall asleep and he just counts the miles of the hard rock course. And I was among three or four other people there who, who, related and said yes it's exactly what i do i mean i and it because it's just recently changed right for a year i was falling asleep dreaming dreaming about hard rock in the clockwise direction and now i have to start thinking about it in the counterclockwise direction imagine going up all of those things that came down and going all down all those things that i went up so i guess jumping right into this year's race you're at your 16th starting line. Does the magic ever change or like what goes through your mind at the start line? Um, I mean, there are still butterflies, right? There are definitely still butterflies. I, I don't think I, I don't worry about being able to finish anymore. Um, something, something may happen someday that keeps me from finishing hard rock. I mean, there were, a friend of mine with 20 finishes didn't finish this year. And it was her first DNF at this race, uh, as far as I know. Um, so it, it happened. So something could keep me from finishing, but I, I think it's going to be something out of my control. I, I no longer worry about, about quitting. I'm, I don't think I'm going to come into an aid station with plenty of time and say, nope, I'm not going back out there. I, you know, that, those worries I think are behind me. So the butterflies are not about that, but still I know how hard it's going to be. That's the the hardest hard rock was my second year because I knew how hard it was going to be. The first year there's that ignorance is bliss sort of thing. Um, but, <laughs> but heading out the second year was, you, you knew it was going to be rough. So this year uh, it was fun being around my friends again uh having you know having those conversations it's there's the joke as we're leaving and we we jog out of town and then we start heading up to the shrine the shrine of the mines is is right there the year this year it was the first climb short tiny climb out of town and the joke is that once we get away from the starting line and our families can't see us anymore we don't have to run anymore <laughs> so we're all running <laughs> for 100 yards and then we can start walking up the shrine up to the shrine um but there's still nerves because i know it's going to hurt i know it's going to be hard i had i had a goal this year of finishing faster than i had the last few years it had, it had been a long time since i had finished in the daylight so we start at 6 a.m on friday and you've got until 6 a.m on sunday uh, i've never finished that late although i've certainly got friends that, that are finishing in that golden hour between 5 and 6 a.m fortunately i've never finished that late but i've had a, most of my finishes have been after the sun has set the second time so after the sun is set on saturday and this year I had a real goal. I felt like I had trained well. My shorter races had gone well. So I felt like I was trained well enough to go 
under 40 hours. I was trained enough to finish in the daylight. And, um, and I was a little bit nervous about that. I didn't want to go out too fast. Uh, I have had negative splits at hard rock before where I, I ran the second 50 faster than the first 50. And so I, I wanted, I didn't know if I could do that this year, but I wanted to be smart about how, I ran the race and I was worried about going out too fast. Um, so there's, there, there are lots of nerves on that first climb. And of course we're all with each other as we're leaving town. There's a water crossing that's pretty early on that a lot of the families and crew will go and watch and take pictures of. And that's exciting. But then once you cross that South mineral and you're going up Silverton bear Creek, it's suddenly just, just, the the hard rockers you know just the men and women that are entered that year and so the conversations change and we start to spread out and it starts to get serious yeah so take me to chapman gulch right like you got around there you got there around like 11 40 a.m how did those miles go because i know that now the sun's coming up yeah so chapman is a chapman is a great place to be you've just come over Grant Swamp Pass, which Grant Swamp Pass, obviously super early in the race, um, you know, it's between Cam Traverse and Chapman, and um, it's about 13,000 feet, but so it's super early or it's super late in the race. Pass is really the emotional heart of Hard Rock. It's the place where there's a plaque up there in memory of Joel Zucker, who was a Hard Rocker who died um, after getting a, um, I think it was a cerebral, uh, edema during the race. He didn't die on the race, but he died soon after. Um, and there are ashes of some of the other hard rockers have been scattered up there. It's a beautiful place. And so just come through that, um, is a, an amazing, the downhill after you get up in this direction, after you get up to Grant Swamp Pass is the steepest, most gnarly, most exciting thing I've ever done and it's always a blast to do it's always fun to do you get up to the top of Grant Swamp and I remember I, I got up there with a rookie one year who had not gone up there in training and he said something about it being steep this was the same direction we went this year clockwise and I said yeah I said the other direction's even worse and he said oh I can imagine and I just looked at him I said no you can't and I <laughs> and I got to look at his face when he saw what we had to go down and it's I mean, nobody looks at that and thinks, oh, yeah, that's a trail. But then you just you bomb down it. you got to just scream down it. And it's a blast. There's no trail. It's just scree that you're that you're sloshing in. And um, so but Chapman, it was getting hot. It gets buggy. There are lots of mosquitoes and horse flies and, and nasty bugs down there. Uh, but there's there's a lot of encouragement. You see a lot of. Uh, of some crews go out that you can crew can go there. Mine did not this year uh, because it's a long walk in and I didn't, I didn't need it. I wasn't going to need anything at that station. I had a drop bag, which I think I took some food out of my drop bag, but that was it. And um, you know, I, I don't remember if I sat down there. I feel like I was pretty fast through that aid station, but it was you know, good encouragement. I got to see some of my, um, so my friends last year, I finished hard rock, uh, side by side with Scotty Mills. 
who is the first person he was getting his 10th hard rock and he is the first person to get 20 western states finishes and 10 hard rock finishes and so he and i finished together last year and he was out there crewing angela chartel who was doing her rock and so it was fun to see uh it's fun to see scotty it was fun to see some of my other friends out there um and then the rough the the bad thing about leaving Chapman is the, in my opinion, the worst climb in the clockwise direction is what you're going into. Well, no, I take that back. So you got, you still have Telluride. So no, you go up Chapman, you go up Oscars. It's the hottest climb. It's not the worst. The worst is probably the next one out of Telluride, but it's, it is the hottest. It's the most exposed. Um, and this year was a hot year, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't terrible. And there were no thunderstorms there this year which is something sometimes we face uh but we didn't there in fact i didn't see any i didn't see any lightning until the evening um friday night and then i saw some the evening saturday night but i didn't see any during the day which was a, a relief yeah i guess like coming into that halfway point do you have like a favorite aid station out there because i know you have telluride kroger's governor and obviously your race out there yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Kroger's Canteen is is sweet because it's so remote. It's really an iconic aid station. And that's where, I mean, occasionally you'll see one year coming the other direction. I got into Kroger's and I had a pacer with me that uh, had never been up there. And so he was so excited. He had a sit. Uh, so we're sitting there and um, they've got tequila at that aid station. So it's tradition to take a shot of tequila there. And <laughs> so my, my, pacer took a shot and then he handed his phone to a an aid station worker to get a picture and the aid station guy took our picture and then as we're leaving we're about 20 yards out of the aid station when my pacer turned to me and it, it suddenly hit him he'd been so excited about being there and everything and then it suddenly hit him he said that was that was scott jerk that took our picture wasn't it i was like yeah that was that was scott he's just up there working <laughs> And, um, and so that's kind of nice because you'll, you know, you're still, especially in this direction, pacers yet, there are fewer people trickling through and, um, and it's kind of fun. Uray is definitely the highlight for me though, because that's the town that I stay in when I go out there and I see everybody I've got this year. I had all three of my kids were there. My oldest son's fiance was there. My, my middle kid's girlfriend was there. My parents were there. My mother-in-law was there. And then a bunch of my friends that live in, uh, in Uray came down there. So it's cool because like somebody, a volunteer from the aid station came back on me, but he basically said, obviously you don't need anything. Cause you've got, I, I probably had more people there with me at Uray than all of the volunteers at that aid station combined working on the other runners. Uh, so, and the other cool thing about Uray in this direction that makes it so special is um, that's where I could pick up a pacer. So if you're 60 or over, you can have a pacer from the beginning, but all the rest of us have to wait until in this direction, it was Uray. In the other direction, traditionally, it's been Grouse Gulch, although this year they replaced the Grouse Gulch aid station with Animus, which is a new, Animus Forks is a new aid station for us this year in an old town over there. So um, I got to pick up a pacer, which this year was my son um, heading off. It wasn't 
wasn't quite dark yet, but it was definitely going to be dark. And leaving that aid station and heading off to um, up, up that climb, getting to the halfway point with him, and then uh, you know, obviously getting up to O point and, and heading down into Animus with him. That, that was super special. And that was the thing I was most looking forward to. At every year, I most look forward to just getting to my pacer. And once I get to my pacer, some of my work is done. I don't have to push myself anymore because I know my pacers are going to be energetic. And I know they've, they've already, they know what my game plan is. They know what my desires are. And basically, once I get to that point, it's a game of how many people can I catch? And, um, and so my son got to start that rolling. And then he took me to Animus Forks. And then I picked up uh, Anthony Lee, who's just an amazing runner. I met him last year when he won the Uray 100. And I was volunteering for that. And, um, and Anthony took me from Animus Forks, the 42 miles to the finish. And he, oh my gosh, I mean, he was freaking fantastic and really pushed me pushed me pushed me to catch people and pass people and made a game out of it and um and probably if i hadn't had those two pacers i i still would have finished but i would have had probably a good 20 to 30 people that would have been ahead of me that weren't this year yeah i was gonna say if you had like a real pace plane or like an aid station gate plan i I definitely wanted to finish under 40 and when I got into when I got into the last aid station at Cunningham I saw Scotty Mills again and he was the one that put into my head that I could get a daylight finish and I I still wasn't sure about that but uh but he was the one that really gave me that that um encouragement that I could do it and so I did that last section fast for me and and picked up several more runners i don't remember how many i I probably passed another five or six in that last stretch which it was it wasn't you know passing runners was just a an ends a a means to an end you know what the goal was to get in during the daylight but having that carrot out there of hey catch up with that person catch up with that person that that made it happen in terms of my aid station i definitely wanted to minimize the amount of time i spent at the aid stations and I did okay. Um, my total aid station time for all the aid stations was 86 minutes, which is pretty good. I mean, if I look at if I look at the people that finished immediately ahead of me and behind me, their time were a lot more. I mean, Drew, who Drew was at one point, Drew Gunn was more than an hour ahead of me, um, and he spent almost two hours at aid stations and um and then only finished i don't know what it was maybe 10 minutes ahead of me um and then the runner behind me had more than three hours of aid station time so i think i was smart to minimize the amount of time i spent at the aid stations uh when i look at the aid stations where i spent the most time they were actually aid stations where i did not have crew so where I had to rely on the aid station volunteers or myself getting into drop bags or my pacer, um, my crew was amazing. I can't, I cannot blame them the amount of time I spent at the aid stations because they were dynamite at getting me out of there. I mean, they were, my crew were at Telluride and I spent six minutes in eight at Telluride. They were at Uray and I spent nine minutes. They were at Animus and I spent six 
minutes and they were at Cunningham and I spent six minutes. So, and I always felt like I had been there for 15 or 20 minutes. So over the years, my crew have gotten so good about giving me what I needed, making sure my, my needs were met and uh, I had what I needed when I left the aid station, but kicking me the hell out of there. Um, and, and they really did that. I remember at Telluride, uh, my mother at one point saying, okay, you, you've been here long enough, you need to go. And then to look back later and realize I was actually only there six minutes is just incredible to me because I would have told you I was there for 15. <laughs> yeah, obviously getting in and out of the A station is key. Or you just mentioned that you know, your biggest needs, what, do you, what was your biggest needs out there? So um, I definitely plan every year to change shoes going into the night. So this year that was at Uray. I changed shoes and socks there. I had shoes and socks that I could change into at some of the other aid stations and my drop bags. I ended up not using those, but it didn't rain as much this year as some, some years. It's just been torrential downpours. And so getting into an aid station where I could put on dry shoes and socks has been really helpful. Although there are, there are tons of water crossings at Hard Rock. Your feet are really never dry for long there. Um, and some of the water crossings are, you know, d so deep, there's no, no chance of popping rocks or anything like that. Um, there's only one where you use a rope to get across, but, um, but so, but I did, I had that game plan of changing shoes and socks. Um, I did not change my, I didn't, this year I didn't change my shorts. I didn't change my shirt actually at all this year. Some years I do really nutrition is the biggest thing. Um, and I've got to get better at that. And you'd think, I mean, I've done enough hundred milers. You'd think that I'd have stuff figured out. But um, but this year, I, I ate a lot better. I always eat better once I get to my pacers. But I did not eat as well the first day as I knew I should have. And I've just, I've got to get better at that. Um, I didn't trust, they had Tailwind there. And I love Tailwind. And I, I use it. And I tell my runners to use it but i didn't trust it enough the first day and then i started trusting it a lot more the second day and it was fabulous for me um so but they're my crew is much better about they make sure they they see me eat at the aid station they're not gonna let me go until they've seen me eat something and um and then obviously you know the typical stuff like filling up water bottles and, and stuff like that that's obviously crucial yeah so i guess coming into halfway now you've made it to engineer and obviously it's nighttime at this point. How are you feeling at this point? Like, are you staying awake or do you know you're going to finish at this point? I mean, I knew, gosh, I mean, I don't want to, I, I don't, I never want to get cocky about hard rock, but I, but, I, <laughs> but I always felt like I was going to, I, I never, I never had a moment this year that I didn't think I was going to finish those. I had those in the early years for sure. And now I've said that and we've recorded me saying that and now watch next year I'll DNF. But, um, but I never felt like I wasn't going to finish, but um, I sure as heck felt like I was falling asleep by the time I got to engineer. Um, I, I had a very hard time. I really hadn't had any caffeine. Um, I had some run gum that I chewed and that, turned my stomach the only time i threw up this year was probably mile is before i got to 50 before i got to engineer so probably about 46 47 miles i chewed some run gum and that 
turned my stomach. So got that out. Um, but I was, I was cold. Uh, it was not raining. So that was good. I wasn't drenched some year. It's I've been drenched. Um, but I was just tired. I'm a, I'm definitely a second day runner when that sun comes up the second day. Uh, when that sun comes up the second day is when I really do well, is when I really do my best. And so I was just, I spent the nighttime Friday night just, you know, biding my time, hiking, not being too worried. I think probably a few people passed me between Ure and Engineer. I didn't let that bother me. I, I, I know that most of the people that pass me the first day, I'm going to pass back. And so I'm just waiting for the sun to come up. That's the biggest thing for me. Cause I know when the sun comes up, I'm going to have my energy. I, I'm, I'm used to passing people the second day. I'm used to being the guy that's encouraging others the second day. Whereas the first day I'm, I'm getting encouragement from others. Um, so the night is hard, but fortunately it's not too long and I'm just working on making continuous forward progress. Yeah. Where were you at when the sun started coming up? Um, we were on handies. So I got through, I got through Animus Forks aid station. We left there. We climbed up into American Basin. And now we're, we're gone over American uh, the pass over to Handy's. And so the sun, it was starting to get light as we were climbing 14,000 foot, you know, the high point of the race, which is this year, probably not around 70 mile mark, somewhere around in there. And it's a beautiful spot and it's a great, I mean, you can see because you're, you're way above treeline by then, you know, treeline's like around 12,000 feet there. And so you've been above treeline basically from the time you left the aid station. And so you can see there's this big, beautiful basin and you can see the 14 are laid out in front of you for a couple of miles. And so it's, you, it's a beautiful sight. As the sun is coming up, you can see these other runners backlit by the sun and you're making your your progress up there um i was with a few other veterans i know i was there with uh betsy nye um who's got gosh betsy's got i think 18 finishes um and you know was there with the, with a few other friends and our pacers of course and just having a really good a good time. I mean, knowing you've made it through the night, knowing you've now well over halfway through the race and really psychologically, there are only two real climbs after handies there. There are more on paper, but you don't descend all that much in between them. So it's really just the climb out of Sherman kind of continues. You go through pole Creek and continues all the way up, basically um until you get uh to to when you come down past stony pass into cunningham and then you just got one climb left so it's a good place to be that's definitely a spot where you know you're going to finish once you get over handies you're done with that that highest climb especially if the weather has been good and once you get down to that 
Burroughs Park Aid Station is a nothing aid station. No offense to the people that work there, but there's not much there. And in fact, in the early years of doing hard rock, it didn't exist as an aid station. They would just put some bottles of some some big um, containers of water in a creek that you crossed it for the aid station there and now they've got more obviously and and they time you in and out of it um, but once you get down to sherman which is a, a major aid station you basically got a marathon left and that's as a marathoner before i was an, an ultra runner that's a great spot to be when i in terms of i've just got a marathon left that's a you know you've still got most of the day to go but it's a good spot to be psychologically knowing that's a um, a, a distance that you can you can take in one bite. Yeah. So of course, with that point, two of my favorite A stations, Maggie and Cunningham, how are you feeling at this point? Like, did you have any surprises going on or, you know, how does mile, those, I guess, I guess those final two eight stations, how does go? Well, I, you're, you're right to say there might've been some surprises. Um, the pole Creek aid station, which is before you get to Maggie, they had moved that which I knew I, I had heard they had moved the aid station, but what I didn't know was they had added about a mile to a mile and a half after the aid station before you got back on the historic hard rock trail. And that was, I was not prepared for that. And I was cranky. I was, I was really <laughs> cranky that section. I was with my pacer. We left Paul Creek aid station and I'm looking up the hill and I'm seeing runners go up the hill and i can't go there because i've got to do this dumbass half mile stream and then cross and then come back up which i'd never had to do before and it's really frustrating and some of the other guys and gals that i talked to afterwards felt the same way it's like it was almost insulting we knew where we needed to go and they'd marked the course in a way that we couldn't go there but you've got to follow the marked course right you don't have a choice so I was grumpy. I was really grumpy in that section. And I honestly thought when I got to Maggie, I thought I was so slow. I thought I had gone so ridiculously slow into Maggie. I felt like um, I, I felt like I just, um, you know, had, had just ruined all of the progress that I had made. If I had passed people prior to that, I thought they must have all passed me back. I just really felt like I had um, I had messed up between, you know, between the Sherman aid station and the Maggie aid station going through Pole Creek. Now going back and looking at it, I realized I passed three runners, at, but I, I felt like I had messed up. I felt like I had not gone very fast through that section. Um, but Maggie is a great spot to be. It's a remote aid station, so you don't have crew there. Um, and you, so you just got your volunteers that are there. Very encouraging. I probably, I definitely spent more time at Maggie than I should have because frustrated myself for how hard it was. And it was hot. It was also hot going through. And I, I don't mean to complain as a Floridian, we should not complain about heat, right? Especially the dry heat that they claim isn't all that bad. But, um, what I'd, I'd messed up. And um, I had given my hat and my sunglasses to my daughter at Ure heading into the night. And because it was still dark when I left Animus Forks the last time I saw her, it didn't occur to me and it didn't occur to her to get my hat and my sunglasses back from her. So I didn't 
have those. And I was, from the time the sun came up until I got into Sherman, I was just dealing with all of this direct sunlight on my head and in my eye. It was really frustrating. And I ended up, when I got to Sherman, I pulled a shoelace out of my drop bag and I used it to tie an umbrella to my head as a hat. And um, it had to be the goofiest thing people saw out there, especially because this is a Mickey Mouse umbrella that has Mickey <laughs> Mouse, like the most Floridian thing ever. And But that was my hat until I got, well, it was my hat the rest of the time because by the time I got to Cunningham, I didn't, didn't need one anymore really. Um, so that was, that was the surprise that I didn't have a hat, didn't have sunglasses. I was frustrated about that, but it's a relief to get to Maggie. Cause you know, now it's an easy, relatively easy climb up and over to Stony Pass and then down Green Mountain to Cunningham. And then you're in the home stretch. Yeah. So what are those, what's that final stretch like, you know, those final five or so miles into Silverton? Yeah. It, it's hard, man. Um, so fortunately, I got in. It's always my goal, even in years that I'm slow, it's always my goal in this direction to get into Cunningham in the daylight because Green Mountain, I think, is the most – there are other places with more exposure. There are other places that if you tripped and fell off the trail, you're plummeting a long distance and onto, onto you know rough stuff. But the place with the worst footing for the longest period of time is green mountain coming down into Cunningham. And so I always want to get down there in the daylight because it's a lot safer. And, and also in the dark, you're tortured by seeing all these headlamps crisscrossing the switchbacks going up to 13,000 feet to the top of little giant. And so at least in the daylight, you don't get tortured by seeing that. Um, I got into Cunningham. I saw my family there. Scotty was the one that planted in my idea, in my mind, the idea of finishing in the daylight. And, um, and so we hammered that climb and caught some people going up. The switchbacks are manageable. Uh, the last time going in this direction was 2018. And, um, and my son and I were actually caught in a god-awful thunderstorm up there and lightning was crashing right on top of us it was really honestly terrifying and so thankfully we didn't have that this year we were teased we could hear thunder in the distance and we saw some lightning flashes when we were down in cunningham but it was nothing close to us and the game is on when you get to the top of little giant because there's no more climbing uh the trail is now a little while but then it levels it doesn't level out but it but it gets better footing after you drop after you descend about 500 feet the the trail gets better and then you get onto a jeep road and it's runnable it's completely runnable from there to the finish except for the the river you cross um it's runnable and so anthony really pushed me to run and he just kept kept telling me you know Pain is temporary, pain is temporary, pain is temporary. So you're going to hurt no matter what. So you might as well get to the finish line faster. And so we rocked it those last five miles coming in and caught people that had been ahead of us for literally for the entire since we left Silverton. Some people, there was one runner who had gotten 
I think had gotten two hours ahead of me, caught that runner. Um, so we were having a great time catching people, having fun with people. Um, I actually caught Drew Gunn, who's the guy who finished just ahead of me. And I've known Drew for years, lives in Durango and um, has a bunch of hard rock finishes. And so I caught him. And then he caught me back, which was okay because, you know, we were pushing each other to go fast. <laughs> and then about, I'd say, a mile and a half from the finish line on the Lackawanna Trail, which is a rolling trail deep in the woods, you're getting glimpses. You can see off to the right. You can sometimes see through the trees. You can see uh, the outskirts of Silverton, but you're still making your way in. Um, my toe hit a rock or a root or something and i went down hard and um and i it's a it's definitely the hardest i've ever fallen during hard rock and um i had stowed i, I used trekking poles which most people do for this race i had stowed them on my pack on my vest and um the handle of the one that was on my stowed on the right side of my vest pressed i fell right down on top of it and it pressed right into my ribs and it it cracked a rib oh. um it was just excruciating pain so you know that was the end of me trying to catch back up with drew got up started walking anthony's talking me through it you know trying to take some deep breaths but that hurt like hell and um and so we walked for a few minutes and then I heard a voice behind, behind me, but I heard a voice behind me, which I assumed was another runner catching. I'm like, okay, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. So we actually ran into the finish line pretty fast. Um, I know, you know, I looked down at my watch and I saw, I saw some, you know, 10 minute pace stuff going on, which I definitely had not done, you know, for the last two days. And, uh, and so I felt good about that. I managed to get to the finish line. There's not actually a finish line. There's a, a finish shoot, which is really awesome. Seen pictures of it. They've got the flags. Uh, there's a flag for every state and every nation that has a runner in it. Um, and so that's always really cool because most years I'm the only Florida um, so this year there were two of us that were entered and it's just neat to know, you know, that, that Colorado flag that's flying there, that might have 30 runners that are represented by that flag, but that Florida flag is just for us, you know? And so that's pretty awesome to know that. So you go that shoot that's flanked by all those flags and then the rock is there and you kiss the rock and, uh, it's just an awesome experience. Definitely, um, you know, doesn't get old, uh, chills still brings excitement and um it's still a thrill to get to do that and i'm so incredibly blessed that i've gotten to kiss the rock 16 times now that's one thing i really want to know is about the rock right but <laughs> what's the most powerful moment kissing that rock or holding that belt buckle so you've been misinformed about hard rock because we do not get a buckle for finishing oh wait that is right yeah a hard rock buckle exists. Um, and I actually own two hard rock buckles. Um, but you have to buy those. They're not given to you. And, um, and I, so I, I, and they changed the, 
they changed the design a few years ago. So I, I own two hard rock buckles. I actually bought one that I gave to um, my, my physical therapist uh, one year when I he had, was definitely the reason that I made it to hard rock one year. I'd had an injury that he helped me through. So I got a buckle for him. Um, but, uh, you don't get a buckle. What you get, they, they put a metal on your neck when you, um, when you finish. Uh, but what they do is actually really, really cool. So at the same time that they do the lottery to see who gets into hard rock, they actually solicit for people to present and, original piece of art it could be a drawing painting uh or or photograph and they want people to submit something that is representative of hard rock or is uh, a picture of something or a drawing of something on the hard rock course and so they print up once they select which which print or which thing they're going to use they print up 140, I think this year there were 145 starters at Hard Rock. So they print up 145 of these optimistically and um, they're numbered. And so your order of finish is what number print you get. And they go to work right away when the first people start finishing. They calligraphy your name and finish time on this poster and that's what you are presented when you at the award ceremony on sunday they call you up in the reverse order they start with the last finisher uh the caboose and or this year it wasn't the caboose this year it was back of the pack they called it because that person got a pack from i want to say it was from black diamond and um and then they work their way through from last finisher to first finisher and you get your poster. And so that's a really awesome thing. The first year I finished hard rock, I had my, my print. Uh, it was, it happened that year. It happened to be a photograph from Grant Swamp Pass and I had it put in a, I had it framed. My mother actually had it framed for me and it's hanging on my wall and it's, you know, beautiful and amazing. And, um, I, I, I'm ashamed to admit that that's the only one that I've ever done that with. And I now have 15 that are basically just sitting in cardboard tubes, um, which is shameful. <laughs> I should find something to do with them, but they're big. And uh, it's not just like hanging a buckle on a, on a display or something like that. It's, it's, you know, you've got to have a, a spot for that. So, um, but that's what you get uh, rather than, rather than a buckle. And, but the, the moment of finishing and kissing that rock is freaking incredible. It really is. Um, but when you get that print is also pretty amazing. What's cool is Dale Garland, the race director calls you up one by one and, or they're like last year when Scotty and I finished together, called up together, but um, you know, calls you up one by one and not, he doesn't just call your name. He doesn't just call your time, but he tells a little bit of a story about you, whatever it is. He's been listening. And so if there's something you said at an aid station and he overheard it, he might've written that down or something that you said when you finished, he's written that down. And so he's got some tidbit to share about every runner. And it's so fun to hear about each of these people that has accomplished and to celebrate what it meant to them or to hear the fun story about them. And um, 
and it is it is fun every year it just it just so happens that the years that i've finished i've been the only floridian um i'm not the first floridian matt mahoney was the first floridian to finish hard rock he got four finishes in before i ever got there um but he and i even though we overlapped in starts we haven't overlapped in finishes and so um it's always kind of been neat to to represent the state out there and um and and show them that uh yeah that that we we floridians we still accomplish these things we can we can go to fourteen thousand feet we can do thirty thousand three thirty three thousand feet of climb you know we can we can do the mountains over two days and uh and i love that and i hope that there'll be more floridians in the future that get into hard rock and that uh, and i hope that i can be there either beside them as a hard rocker or crewing for them or pacing them or, or in just cheering them on. Yeah, for sure. Good. <laughs> and you need to get out there, man. I'm t- I tell, I tell people this all the freaking time. You need to get out to Silverton, whether it's, whether it's during hard rock or not, you need to get out there. These mountains are beautiful. They're freaking amazing. And I fell in love with them. Uh, just going out for vacations with my family. And the fact that I get to do a race that goes through them is, is just a bonus. Um, but more, people need to get out there so often when people talk about colorado especially floridians are like oh yeah i went to i I, you know i went to leadville one year and then leadville don't take anything away from it it's awesome but um you know but leadville doesn't go nearly as high as the climbs at hard rock and the views is completely different um you know to me leadville was about having to run fast and hard rock is about having to survive and um i just would love for more floridians to out there experience that that beauty and that challenge well hey chris this was awesome yeah thanks thanks man i hope you've got plenty of stuff that you can pull from to uh to put together something at least uh somewhat interesting for people to listen to heck yeah but yeah this is sweet well good i appreciate your interest and i have enjoyed listening to uh listen to the podcast i listened to the ones that you did with um with ajw as well all right thanks man well enjoy your wings (laughs) take care thanks man yep thanks and there we have it for chris twigs in the hard rock 100 what a legendary legacy he has out there and honestly i really hope we can get more floridians out there to the hard rock and finish the race i think it was last year or maybe two or so years ago katie roser was out there and um florida had two runners out there obviously chris he crossed that finish line but also simone valentin austin she was out there and she did amazing putting in the miles so it's definitely a fun race to watch and get those updates and there we have it so hey until next time happy trails